Welcome to In The Zone. I'm your host, Chris Broussard. And as always, I thank you for joining me. Now, look, let's get right into it. The Golden State Warriors have been in the news for so many reasons lately. Obviously, Kevin Durant is injured. Obviously, they have lost their mojo. Steph Curry is struggling with his jump shot. I'm one of those who believes he's the best shooter of all time, but he's certainly not looking like it lately. And then they struggled last night to beat the Philadelphia 76ers at home. So the Warriors are a big, hot topic within the NBA, but not just for basketball reasons. They have also been probably at the forefront or certainly among the teams at the forefront when it comes to talking about social, political, and even racial issues. Whether you go back a month to Draymond Green uh, criticizing James Dolan, the Knicks owner, saying he had a slave master mentality with the way he handled Charles Oakley, or whether you go back to just last week with Andre Iguodala making post-game comments where he used terms massa and the N-word multiple times. So Iguodala in particular, and also Draymond, have kind of sparked a discussion that I think is very important. You know, a lot of people think we are in a time where race relations are getting worse rather than improving. And I think that these two guys, Draymond and Andre, have kind of brought this discussion to the forefront in their own way. A discussion not just about race, but also about the N-word and its use among blacks, among whites, and so on and so forth in the public eye. And so I have a special guest today that I brought on to have a discussion about the N-word and about what Draymond and Andre said um, that I think will be informative and entertaining. It's it's somewhat lighthearted for people of all races, you know, because if we're all going to live together in harmony here in America, we do need to understand each other's perspective and where different people are coming from. And so to, to do that with me today, I've brought in a, a good friend of mine, Mark Lamont Hill, who is the Distinguished Professor of African-American Studies at Morehouse College. Uh, He's the author of four books, and many of you may have seen him on CNN, where he often appears as a political analyst and contributor. So uh, we're just going to get right into our discussion today, and I really hope and I believe that you will enjoy it here on In The Zone. Thanks for coming on In The Zone. I'm glad to be here, man. I'm excited. Well, I know you're a big basketball fan. People might not associate you with hoop. But uh, first of all, you played at Morehouse. You played in my celebrity game last year. And for those listening, he 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 got some game. He made he started the game off with like a crazy layup, like an AI Iverson type layup. Man. Those are my career highlights, man. <laughs> I just try to stay in the game. Man, you was killing them though, man. You you was putting up points. You, you, ain't, you ain't got no conscience. No, nah, no. Nah. I feel like I'm old <laughs> enough. I can shoot whenever I want now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you also a season ticket holder with the Philadelphia 76ers. That's your hometown. Um, yeah. How, look, what do you feel about the, the way they're doing things right now? I mean, are you excited because of Joel Embiid, uh, Ben Simmons, or are you frustrated because of the injuries or what? I'm, I'm I'm excited. You know, I was excited during the Hinky stage of the process. Really? You know, people so say you're all a supporter. Did. Okay. I support. You know, people say all he did was was lose, and anybody could lose. But he didn't just lose. He he dumped the right ass. He, he accumulated the right assets, dumped the right people. 
uh, brought on some real value. I mean, the fact that we're going to swap picks with Sacramento this year if they lose, the fact that we'll have their 2019 draft pick, the fact that we have the Lakers potential uh, pick this year if it's not in the top three. I mean, these are all hinky things. And we got some gold. I mean, who knew Robert Covington could play? Who knew that, you know, there might be some value to some of the guys that we picked up who weren't even drafted? So I see it. Colangelo's a new stage, though. You know, he knows basketball, and he knows the, the kind of pieces we need to put together. And even though some of the moves have been unpopular, like getting rid of uh, Ilyasova when he was probably the best offensive option we had, it made sense, though, because you've seen Dario Saric turn into the kind of player that we wanted him to be. I mean, he's probably rookie of the year, if not a strong second. Uh, so I feel good about where we are. The only beef I have is that Brett Brown, who I love, is talking about running Ben Simmons at the point next year. Mm. I don't understand it. And he's talking about defensively, not just not just point forward, actually yeah. running him at the point. Doesn't make sense to me basketball-wise, but look, other than maybe Minnesota, I feel good that this might be the best young team in the league. We go, and, and, In four to five years, we will be NBA champions. That's what I'm saying oh, right NBA now. Champions. NBA <laughs> champions. NBA uh, champions. Well, okay, now, so, so I, I was going to ask you, are you concerned about Embiid's health? But obviously not, because he's going to have to be a key component. He's going to have to be. Look, I, 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 every night I dream that his foot is okay. I, usually when players start to fall, I move out the way. But if Joel and B come my way, I'm, I'm trying to hold him up. I don't want him to fall for nothing. I don't want him to slip on a banana pill. Whatever he needs, I'll make sure he's okay. I, I, I think the meniscus injury is a coincidence. I, if, if he had structural problem with his foot that recurred this year, I'd be more scared. Okay. But even without Joel and B, as crazy as this sounds, Ben Simmons might be a, a, a generational talent. We got we got at least two, maybe three more lottery picks coming in the next two years. And we have some solid talent, and we got a ton of money. I think we're going to be okay either way. Nobody saw Golden State coming. Nobody's going to see Philly coming. I'm telling you, within four to five years, NBA champions. All right, man. You know, you sound like um, uh, Jim Buss predicting that three years the Lakers. <laughs> you know what happened to him. So uh, <laughs> Jim Buss, I'm not going to speak that on you. but <laughs> Okay, so the NBA in general, I mean, it's a lot. Look, I love Kevin Durant. And I'm hopeful he gets back healthy 100% and all that. And I'm glad with the prognosis that he should be back. But it's actually made it more interesting and exciting uh, because now there's a little doubt. Uh, Who do you who you have coming out of the West and who do you kind of like winning it all? I have Golden State coming out of the West with an Still, asterisk. Okay. You know, without without KD, that team is not the team of last year. I mean, they got rid of some depth. You know, not having Harrison Barnes, not having Boga is a bit an extra big. Uh, some things matter. You know, those things matter. Uh, it, but I have I have them coming out. If, and then you got the you got the uh, Lamarcus Aldridge issue in, in in San Antonio. You know, if you'd asked me four months ago, I'd have said the Clippers were for real. But every year the Clippers look for real until they don't. Right. Yeah. And Houston can't guard this chair. So when, when, you, when you get into the playoffs, you know, half court yeah, offense, yeah. I don't see it. So I think I, I, until they show me something different, I have no reason to think that Golden State I'll get to the finals where they the Western finals where they would need KD. He should be back and, and in a rhythm again. Yeah. Uh, on the East Coast, it, it, it's it's Cleveland's uh, game to lose, barring injury. And injuries happen. I I don't think Toronto's ready. I don't think Boston is. I don't think Toronto's good enough. I don't think Boston is ready uh, to to move to the next level. I still think they are players short. And LeBron is still the best player on the court all the time. And when you get into, you know, the fourth quarter of a close playoff game, that matters. Yep. So I'm going to be very, very vanilla and say it's going to be Cleveland, uh, a Golden State again. And it's all going to come down to who has home court and how healthy the players are. If I had to put money right now, I'm, I would put it on uh, on Golden State. I just think they have too many weapons. But, you know, again, it's going to come down to health, health and depth.
Yeah, that's how I picked it in the preseason, Golden State beating Cleveland in the finals. And, uh, you know, I would like to see a, a rubber match final, you know, them in it for third straight year. So I think everybody wants to see that. But it, it'd be interesting everybody. if there's drama and intrigue leading up to it. Like San Antonio right. pushes the Warriors. That'd be exciting. Which is what we saw last year, right? Yep. Okay, oh. see, pushed them to seven and should have won, yep. right, Frank? No question. We saw, that, and that's why I say it wasn't just a fluke that Cleveland won. I mean, OKC showed Golden State shortcomings, man. When you're physical, when you can get out there and run, man, there's some things you can do against them. And uh, I don't know, man. I, I, the only thing I say is I didn't respect KD's move. Mm. Uh, it's a, it's, it's Has a that changed now? The way obviously they they need him. They need them because they got rid of a lot of assets to get them. I mean, yeah, of course you need them now because you, you made. So the you team think? Around. Do you think they made a mistake? Like, just should have kept the bench and the depth and all that. It's hard to it's hard to look at Kevin Durant and not take him. I ain't mad in Golden State. I'm more mad or disappointed that Kevin Durant didn't want to beat Golden State bad enough to stay in OKC. They were beatable. They were beatable last yeah. year. You know what I mean? And 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 even if they're going to Boston where he said, you know what, I want my own legacy, my own team, and I want to beat LeBron and, and, and stop his, his finals run. I'm good with that. I'm not saying you got to go to you got to go to Wolves or Philly or Brooklyn or, you know, or Sacramento. Yeah. I'm just saying, don't go to the guy that just beats you and come back. I just, I, it's hard for me to respect that. And I'm not out nostalgic. And I know the old school players probably would have done it if they had contract flexibility to do it. So I'm not trying to act like Michael Jordan or Isaiah Thomas. Or Charles Barkley would have done it. He yeah, could yeah. talk all trash. Charles Barkley would have been right on Chicago, <laughs> New York, and Philly. But I'm still tight, man. I'm still tight right now, man. I need a little time. <laughs> <laughs> well, last uh, NBA question. Of course, who's your MVP right now? Ooh, it's tough, man. You know, if he averages a triple-double, it's hard not to go with Russell because – I know people say, you know, they're not a high enough seed. You know, you need to be a top three seed, top four seed to be an MVP. I get that. But that's not a great team. That team wins and is even in the mix because of Russell's effort. He plays hard every night. I think triple-doubles are overrated, particularly when you snatch and rebounds out of your center's hands. You know what I mean? Which is what happens a lot of times. Uh, but I, I still think that, I mean, the, the level of effort, the level of discipline he's playing with, uh, I would like to see a little more defense out of Russell Westbrook. But, um, you know, he, he's putting numbers up. I mean, it's, LeBron could win it every year. You know what I mean? You can make a case for LeBron every year. You can make no question. Or maybe the best team, you know. But you know, Anthony Davis, you know, could have been the guy. You know what I mean? If the team had done better. But if we talk about records, I mean, Anthony Davis ain't even in the mix now. He got a whole lot of help. So I gotta go with Russell, man. You know, if if a brother averages a triple double for a whole season and makes the playoffs after losing KD on a team that people said couldn't make the playoffs without KD, I'm giving him the MVP for history's sake. And also, I want to make. Uh, Mark Cuban mad. I want him to have to see <laughs> the point that Russell Westbrook is a daggone superstar. Yeah, I'm with you. I um I think the triple double is like the equivalent of hitting 400 in baseball, mm. and so I I agree with you. If Russell gets the triple double and they you know they're winning at a fairly high rate, like you said, I think they're maxing out. They're playing as yeah. well as they can play. Uh, I have to give it to him. Now I'm telling you, if he averages 9.9 assists. I'm not giving it. it to him. Yeah, it's, it's all about that. That Because no, you're right, it's historic. It's incredible. We never thought we'd see it again. If anything, we thought LeBron might do it. But uh, So I, I'm with you on Westbrook. Now, back to the Warriors. They've been in the news recently for a lot of things, not just KD being hurt uh, or Steph not you know, shooting well. They, they've been in for a lot of things. Let's go back about a month when Draymond Green – if you, you remember the situation with James Dolan, the Knicks owner, and the way he treated yeah. Charles Oakley, having him kicked out of Madison Square Garden and saying he was an alcoholic and stuff like that. 
Draymond Green came out and said he thought Dolan displayed a slave owner mentality. Uh, what was your thought on that? I agree with Draymond. You know, I, I was I was appreciative of Draymond speaking out against that. There's a tendency uh, in pro sports for owners to feel like they don't own teams, but they own players. When I looked at the letter that Dan Gilbert wrote uh, after LeBron James decided had the audacity to to, to exercise his free agency, uh, you know, it didn't. It, it sounded half scorn lover, half angry slave master. You know. When I saw how James Dolan, you know, I'm going to win a championship before you do, you know, you know, that, that kind of, you know, but then there was also, you know, with, with Dolan, a similar sensibility, you know, these guys work hard, they risk their bodies, they put their lives on the line every night, physically, uh, they're, they're not, you know, they're going to war, but they are physically going to war every night, and, and they have a very short window of opportunity to make money, uh, and to be successful, to feed their families, and, and to make good choices. And sometimes we forget that this is a business and that players have to make choices for themselves. And owners sometimes become very frustrated when owner, when players act, exercise any kind of agency. And in the case of Charles Oakley, it seems like uh, owners view players as disposable, that at the moment that they're no longer valuable to you, this doesn't happen. There's no way if Charles Oakley does the exact same thing, has the exact same critiques of ownership, has the exact same level of of what Char Dolan would call arrogance or disregard for, for the Knicks legacy. He, that, ain't, that don't happen in 94. That, yep. If he says right. those same things in 94, he don't say nothing. He says, oh, that's Charles being Charles. But at the <laughs> moment, you don't need him anymore. And I, I came up through Philly, right? I mean, I could tell you AI stories all day. You know what I mean? But the moment AI's first step wasn't as fast as it was anymore, the moment AI couldn't give you 30 points a game and lead a terrible team to the finals, suddenly uh, he's a cancer. Oh, wait a minute. You know, he's missing practice. Oh, there's, a, there's some character issues. We got to cut rid of the moment you can't do for them exactly what they want, which is to maximize and exploit your labor, then suddenly you're disposable to them. And that's the slave master mentality. Slaves were property. They weren't people to them. They were they were property. And the, and that's why slaves didn't get killed, right? Because they didn't kill right. slaves. because they were, You don't throw away your lawnmower when it don't work, you fix it. So when, when slaves no longer were valuable to them as property and as tools to make money, then and only then do you get rid of them. That's the sensibility that many owners seem to display around the players. Now, I'm not saying that they're all racist. I'm not saying they're all white supremacists. But there's a certain idea that athletes are not people, but they're objects. And, and that's what that's what Dolan demonstrated. I mean, and to criminal, I mean, there's so many ways to get Charles Oakley out of a building. Don't get me wrong. Charles Oakley is, you, you, got, you got to bring a lunch if you're trying to make Charles Oakley <laughs> you know what to do. I, I'm not trying to act romantic about Charles yeah. Oakley. But you don't got to lock him up. You don't have to charge him. To criminalize these guys, to criminalize a player like that is, is shameful and it's unnecessary. And it, and it backfired. I mean, the whole, the whole league right. looked at Dolan like he was crazy. And Dolan, obviously, that, that says a lot more about Dolan than it does about Charles Oakley. Man, I, I agree with you 100%. I've said some of those same things. I remember saying when Dan Gilbert wrote that letter about LeBron, he treated he talked about him like he was a runaway slave. Yeah. You know, and, and LeBron did nothing. LeBron just acted like a free man. You right. know, I, <laughs> I, I, he literally was a free agent, but I can do what I want to do. And you're right, the backlash was crazy. And, and that's one reason LeBron acts as he does. When he right. says, I want to go here. I want to bring this player with me, that player. Like, he sees himself not as just a player. He sees himself being able to operate on the same level as the owners and, and the GMs and all that, which which I like that in him. Um, with the Warriors sticking with them, of course, last week, Andre Iguodala, you know, I've said that if, if, Matt, if, Slade, or if owners are going to sometimes exercise the mentality of a slave master – then yeah. it's, it shouldn't sometimes be surprising when players make references that, you know, 
kind of put them in that position under a slave master or something. Even though I, I hate seeing blacks refer to, you know, whites as master and stuff. Iguodala was doing it, kind of trying to troll the media. But what'd you think of his comments last year, last week from Massa to the N word and all that? I was a little surprised by the comments. Again, growing up in Philly, I know Andre Iguodala pretty well. I, it didn't seem like his normal MO in front of the media. You know, I've talked to him offline. You know, he's a smart guy, very aware, very well read, real deep dude. You know what I mean? There's a lot of guys in the league like that who people don't know. Mm-hmm. And, and speaking of the word, David West is like that too. Yes. I mean, just a yeah. smart, very aware, you know. Cares about things going on. So I get it. Uh, I was a little surprised to hear it in the media, because usually that's like a behind-the-scenes joke. That's a locker room joke. That's not necessarily a media conversation. But when he said it, I immediately understood what he was doing. He was signifying, right? And and black folk have a way of speaking uh, through indirection. So so when he says, you know, uh, you want a dumb N-word, that's what I'm going to give y'all today, or it's whatever Master say, we know he's being ironic. We know he's being sarcastic. And we know that he's not necessarily even having a beef with Steve Kerr or the ownership. We understand it in a more complicated way, but when the media hears it, they're like, oh my God, he used the N-word. Oh my God, he, he used him, you know. And, and so I think Iguodala was, like you said, trolling the media is a good way to say it. He was he was trying to get the media to respond, and he sparked a conversation that's important. Now, I am I like to selectively uh, use those moments of media trolling, because I'm good for a media troll on occasion. <laughs> but I, I, I try to use it around an issue. I would have rather he used it when... Uh, Donald Sterling was wilding out, or when the Atlanta uh, Hawks had their their controversy with uh, da- was it with uh, Danny Ferry a while back, yeah, or and the ownership there too, with some comments right. about black fans and all that. Absolutely, yep. in fact, Danny Ferry kind of got under the bus. It was really much. Yeah. It was a deep issue than just him. Than him. Right, right. I, I would have liked to see that more so than uh, than than what. Um, than just a random kind of question about playing time, just because you only get a few moments to do that, right? Mm-hmm. You only get a few passes. And because he's Andre Iguodala and he's a model citizen and people love him, he can get a couple of those through it. If, if Draymond Green has that same statement at the same moment, at, you know what I mean? At, 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 he gets maybe a $50,000 fine, maybe he gets suspended yeah, on it. because 10000 is like, that's, just, get, a sl- that's right. just like, man, I had to do something. Right, you know? yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's, like a, that's a free pass, basically. So, you know... I, and the other thing I would say is that while I agree that the relationship is exploitative and that owners act like slave masters at times, I'm also one of those people who's reluctant to compare everything to slavery. I agree. Because our ancestors, I mean, slavery was 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 the, the most inhumane, vicious institution. I'm not comparing oppressions to other groups because everybody's had oppression. Mm. But as, as an institution in America, there's been nothing more violent, nothing more ugly, nothing more longstanding and durable than slavery. So it's hard to compare that to somebody who's going to make Six, you know, eight hundred million, two hundred million dollars over the course of their career. So I don't compare it in that sense. But the exploitative nature is something that Andre highlighted. I'm kind of glad he did because um, we're having a conversation about it. Yeah, it's our great conversation, and I agree with you. Like, sla- I, 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 I didn't like him using slavery to quote unquote troll the media because, as you said, I mean that there's too much bloodshed, too many lives lost. And still today, we're dealing with ramifications and repercussions from that institution. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, but he he obviously used the N word. Now, I'm one of those African Americans who, <laughs> <laughs> who 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 feels like we shouldn't use it as a people, as African Americans. Obviously, I understand it's different when blacks use it than whites use it. Um, right. I got family members. Come on, we 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 got frat brothers. We got I got friends, great friends. People I greatly respect, Michael Eric Dyson, yourself, I believe, is on the oh, side yeah. that, that we we can use it uh, and should be able to use it. Um, what is your 
stance on the N-word and, you know, tell me about yeah. why you feel like we should use it. I, you know, and, and that's interesting. I won't go so far as say we should use it. Like, I'm not, okay. you know, I'm not like an advocate for I'm not like proselytizing <laughs> for the N-word. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I think Dr. Dyson, who we both know and love, he adamantly defends it. He's and, like, promotes it. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I, I use it. Now, let me be very clear. I use it. In fact, I talked to him this morning. We used, probably used it 17 times. <laughs> so, and, you know, I'm okay with black people using it within particular spaces because I think that words have meaning, and those meanings aren't easy to shake. I don't pretend that the N-word doesn't have any connection to slavery anymore. It does, right? Words don't just yeah. change magically. But I do think that black folk have a long tradition through the context of slavery of transforming meaning, meanings, of, of reshaping uh, cultural practices in such a way that it might mean something different for us than it does for them. Stuff that was meant for bad, I mean, soul food, right? I mean, the whole premise yeah. of soul food is stuff that was given to slaves that we wouldn't want. Now, I would, I, I don't want a Thanksgiving without my mama's collard greens. I don't, I, you know what I mean? I want that You stuff, still right? eating chitlins, man? You still eating chitlins? That, that you, ain't, you, you ain't going that far. I don't go that far. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I respect people who do. I ain't going to be in the kitchen when you make it. I don't want to smell it, but I respect your choice. You know what I'm saying? But, but for me, I think um, it, it's really important to make that distinction. I think the argument against, slave, against the N-word is that it promotes hate or self-hate. I have seen the most loving context where it's been used, and I refuse to believe uh, that, it, that it meant hate. For example, Andy Young will tell you this. You know, and, and in some of the biographies of Dr. Martin Luther King, there was a day where Andrew Young was missing. He was out. He ran an errand. You know, he was he was mentored by Martin Luther King Jr. And long before he was an ambassador or a mayor of Atlanta. And uh, Dr. King got worried because it, it was the middle of, you know, the most violent period in American history, one of the most violent periods. So after about an hour, Andy Young comes back into headquarters and he says, little, where have you been? <laughs> right now, you ain't going to convince me Dr. King don't love black people. Yeah. Yeah. Or that he ain't love Andy Young. Now, could he have said it in a different way? Sure. Could he have be smuggling in some old self-hate? Perhaps. But I think a, a more likely thing is that black folk have just managed to use the, the stuff that's been hurled against us in different ways. I think the other argument against the N-word is that if we use it, then white people can use it, right? White people are much smarter than we give them credit for. I don't want to infantilize white people, right? White people have managed to, to run sports to run, you know, major empires to have their faces be the the, the the prototype for what's beautiful, what's smart, what's moral, what's ethical. They have changed the face of God. They have changed the face of everything, right? They can, if, if you can do all that, you can understand a very simple rule. I can say it, and you, <laughs> right? Like, it ain't that complicated, right? I hear you. I, I go a few things you say. Okay, I look obviously with African Americans, a lot of us use it as a term of endearment. You know, yeah. I'm sure, like when you and Dr. Dyson used it today, it was as a term of endearment. Absolutely. But I would call it more so a term of familiarity because mm. a lot of times, again, it's a term of endearment. A lot of times, if we be honest, I think it's also a term of hatred. Like, I'm going to kill that, you know, yes. these ain't, you know what I mean? Like, especially not Absolutely. just hip hop music, but in general, you know, in our communities, I think we kind of use it as a term in different ways. I mean, some ways it's pretty innocuous. You know, you might describe, mm -hmm. I've seen brothers describe, call a white dude, the, you know, the N-word, you know, or, or a person right. of another race. So a lot of times it's innocuous. A lot of times it's loving and a term of endearment. And a lot of times it's a term of hatred, black on black or whatever it may be, you know, obviously white on black. So, that would be my argument against the term of endearment, you know, thing. As far as whites being able to say it, obviously, again, it's definitely different, you know. 
I'm around blacks who say it all the time, and I got love and respect for them. I don't want to hear a white person say it. But we had, like, Jada Kiss, he was on Undisputed yesterday, um, and he was saying, look, he's a MC that uses, you know, the N-word in a lot of his rhymes. And he was saying, you know, it's hard to tell a white kid, like, you know, when they rapping along, they love black hip-hop stars. And they know yeah. the lyrics and they memorize it and they rapping. I think it's a, a little tough. Not not that it's hard, but it's almost to expect them if they're rapping the lyrics to stop at every time they hear the N-word. And some songs they be stopping like every few <laughs> seconds. You know right, I mean? That's true. But it's just, I think that it's we're not segregated anymore. You know, I think when we were in segregation and it was pretty much us by ourselves using it among ourselves, maybe it was different. But now I think, you know, the whole world, people of other races have access to our art, to many aspects of our culture. That's one of the things I think our dominance as athletes and entertainers and musicians and stuff, that has put a lot of African-American issues and particularities and concerns in our culture. Our culture is now out there in mainstream America. And that's why I think since we're not segregated anymore, it's hard to totally expect other people never to use it, it particularly if you're talking about hip hop and and whites that grew up around blacks that use the n word and all that stuff. I I agree that it's tougher. I'll say this though, I've been around a, a dudes right, and they'll be they'll be spitting Biggie Smalls lyrics, right? They'll be spitting Jada Kiss lyrics, Lil Kim lyrics. Come on, they spitting Lil Kim's lyric too because they go hard. But when she gets to the part about performing a sex act on a man. Nobody accidentally <laughs> says that. Nobody accidentally says, yo, I went down on the, you know what I mean? Every dude stops. Right? They do all the words to Benjamin's. They do, the yeah, they do yeah. every little Kim lyric, Junior Mafia, but the moment she say, I go down, they every everybody turns mute, yeah, right? Yeah. So, so, so we, have a, we have a way of silencing ourselves and, and being very selective, right? And no one says, well, you know, why aren't men accident? Why aren't they saying all these? Because we don't want to, right? Yeah, For a, right. A, a variety that's of right. So if, if if the same man that can stop when he's spitting the Nicki Minaj lyric that he that he don't want to represent, or stop spitting the Lil Kim lyric or the Remy Ma lyric that he don't want to represent, when the white guy hears the black lyric, the N word, he can just stop. When I when I spit rhymes and somebody says the B word, I don't say it. I just don't. I, I pause. I, I do the same thing because I'm I, I have a feel I, I'm against homophobia when people use the F word against gay people. I don't say it during the middle of a lyric. I, it's not what I want to represent. Mm-hmm. If someone did that against Jews, I would spit it. You know what I mean? On on the Benjamins, there's a line, uh, the Jada Kiss, you do like we do, stack chips like Hebrews, right? On all the versions that have come out in the last 20 years, they mute the word Hebrew because they don't want to, they don't want to be anti-Semitic. So we're committed to muting the words that, um, that, that offend certain groups and we should be. Yeah. But we can do that to black folk. Now you might say that's an argument for not using the N word at all. I was going to say, yeah, because yeah. I feel like other groups, they don't let certain images of themselves be put out there for public consumption. Certainly not on a mass scale. But we are doing that, and not just by using the N-word, but even, you know, obviously some of the negative content. Then, to me, that makes it even more, even uglier, you know, that that some of these images, and particularly the N-word, are being used by us for public consumption. It is interesting that even when black people control media, you know, for example, BET, we still have negative images coming out. I'm, I'm all about saying let's have fewer negative images. I believe in art. I believe in projection of, of all kinds of people. So I want the character from Fences, I, is, you know, yep. to exist. Yep. 
You know what I mean? I want the character from Moonlight to exist. I want Alonzo from Training Day to exist. I want all that to, I want Malcolm to exist, right? I want all that to exist. But I don't want to normalize pathology. I think the question for me though is, does the N-word normalize pathology? You raise an interesting point. If I say, yo, I'm gonna go kill that N-word, if I replace N-word with brother, it don't make sense. Yo, I'm going to go shoot that brother in the head, right? You can't do that. Yeah. So in that context, the N-word probably doesn't mean anything loving or endearing. But if we can not, I just don't want to become religious about the N-word so that we focus so much on calling people the N-word as opposed to these systems and structures that treat people like the N-word. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's, 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 that's my situation. I think that's a great point because when the N-word, from my studies, the N-word initially was just a normal, it came from the Spanish word Negro and the Latin word Niger, which is actually right. in the Bible. Uh, Acts chapter 13, there's a man, Simeon, called Niger, who, which literally means mm -hmm. the black man, and he was one of those that sent the Apostle Paul out to Europe and Asia Minor with the gospel. But um, right. the, it comes from that word, and initially, even in America, it was like a neutral term. But what yeah. made it become so negative was the behavior that it was associated with. And, and a lot of times, I mean, when a black person in slavery was being brutalized, whipped, castrated, whatever it might be, that's the word that's associated with right. it. And that's where the hatred for it came from us and also where, you know, it became such a negative term among all groups. So I, a lot of part of me too feels like just because, you know, a lot of our older our ancestors, obviously, back in the day, and even some of our elders today, they really hate that word. They really despise it. So part of me feels like just out of respect for them, who who they went through so much to get us the freedoms we enjoy today, they had to hear that word spoken to their face by a white person. And so their hatred for the word, obviously, we understand. So a lot of me feels like out of respect for them, we should stop saying it, you know, so casually amongst ourselves and certainly in mixed company, you know? I do find it interesting as generations move on, because you, you, you talk about this, like my daughter's 13 and she has a very different take on it, you know, and she goes to a very mixed school and the, the kids all listen to hip hop and they, you know, they, they, they love all that stuff. But they police that word, not just for the white kids in her school, but also for them. None of them use so it. So she doesn't use, she doesn't think it should be used. No, and she's appalled by, by, by my use of it. Yeah, it's, it's a different generation for sure. Uh, I, another thing, like, I hear, and I've, again, Dr. Dyson, I've heard him say, you know, we use it with the A at the end. And, you know, whites, it, with the ER, that's when it's negative. And my feeling is, obviously, most of us African-Americans came from the South. We right. still, no matter where we grew up, a lot of times speak with a Southern accent. And, and it also, and I say this respectfully, it may be some form of Ebonics, too. But we, we do that. I think we substitute ER or A for ER in many words, like sucker. You know, we don't say sucker. We say sucker. Or brother. You know, we don't say brother. We say brother. So I don't I think that argument is, you know, also a bit uh, misguided. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, unless there was this meeting of great black minds where we said we're going to make it with an A rather than ER. I just think that to me, that's kind of an excuse just to to say well, it, you know, it's, it's the, the diff I think what he means is it the the linguistic difference is like a marker for other differences, right? Because it's not like if a white person starts using the A or a black person starts using the ER. 
that suddenly it's okay or not okay. Mm -hmm. I think the issue is, is that we know intent and meaning partly by the person who's using it and the kind of culture they're engaged in. I think the fact that white people use with the ER historically has been, it means that it carries with it a certain kind of racial and, and white supremacist weight that the A term of it ha hasn't. So even when a black person, even when a white person uses it with the A, a lot of times that's the, black, the white person that's been with hip hop. That's the person that's listening to, to DMX or, or, or Jay-Z growing up in the 90s or whatever. And they're using it differently. It doesn't excuse it. You know what I mean? But I think it's more of a marker of the difference than the, than the difference itself. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I get where you're coming from. I get where you're coming from. I feel like we're so attached to that word. You know, like yeah. I like, I mean, we call ourselves African-American today. I do that as well. A part of me really prefers black. I because, do. you know, a lot of my mentality is pan-African, and that includes black people or people of African descent all over the world who yeah. all have been a victim in some way, shape, or form of, you know, European oppression, you know, yeah. colonization in Africa and so on and so forth. Um, but we created that term for ourselves more black. You know, we decided we're going to call ourselves black. So I would rather us be more attached to that word that we created ourselves than the N-word that somebody else kind of put on us, and especially put on, on us in a negative way. But why do you feel like there's such... Oh, I think some of us even feel power when we say that word. Well, because it's the one thing we can do that white people can't. <laughs> I mean, how many things in the world can black people do that white people just can't? And it's kind of <laughs> commonly socially understood. But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's kind of empowered. I say it and I know you can't. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like in a world where, where whiteness still dominates. And of course, there are vulnerable white people. There are poor white people. There are dispossessed white people. All white people ain't in control of the world. I'm not suggesting that. But whiteness still dominates the world as a, as a, as a normative ideal. Um, and this is the one place where black folk, no matter how poor you are, no matter how rich you are, no matter how destitute you are, no matter how marginalized you are, don't matter. You can do something that white people can't. And there's something exciting about that to me. <laughs> and I think a lot of everyday black people feel like that. It's ours. And don't, can't nobody else have it. That's a that's one of the better explanations that I've heard. Um, I, I still wish we would stop saying it. And it's complex because I do feel like in a historical or educational sense, you know, it can be used. Um, but, you know, but that was an interesting point. But, um, man, look, this has been a, a tremendous discussion from you got some basketball knowledge, too. But obviously, you know, for your, your knowledge of African-American history and culture and politics and so i really appreciate uh what you what you what you have shared with us today let me ask you this as well we see i think african-american athletes in general being a little more outspoken about political issues um where do you think do you, first of all how do you feel about that and is there a next step for athletes in this area or or is it those like yourself or, or black lawmakers, black urban planners, black economists need to kind of take it from the black athletes who have raised awareness and take it to a level where maybe there can be some legislation or some real change about these things. You know, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to a small group of people who are committed and making the sacrifice. You know, when you look at the civil rights struggles of the 60s, uh, 87, somewhere between 86 and 87 percent of black folk did not participate in civil rights resistance actions, right? So, you know, it was, it was 12, 12, 12 and a half percent of people that, I'm talking about just going to one march, one sign, one song, <laughs> one sit-in. Most folk weren't doing that. And some people didn't want to. Some people were just trying to live their lives. Most people don't do this work. So there's always going to be a small group of people that resist. It's kind of like football, right? You know, you, uh, 
we're on the line grinding and fighting, and we open up a little hole to, so someone else can run through and score the touchdown. You know, and, and that's what that's what civil rights struggle is like. That's what the next generation of struggle is going to be. It's a small group of us grinding and, and grinding, and not getting any credit for it. You only see the guy in the end zone spiking the ball. You don't, you don't really know who's on the line. That's right. So that's the same kind of moment. Now, some of the people on the line are going to be uh, 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 everyday people. Some are going to be preachers. Some are going to be teachers. Some are going to be professors because they can be on the ground every single day doing that work. There are going to be some celebrities. There have always been celebrities doing this work. But the celebrity work isn't necessarily to lead our movement. It's simply to be part of the movement. What Harry Belafonte did was so extraordinary. He created a space, to, you know, to, as he learned from Paul Robeson, he created a space to, for Ossie uh, Davis and a, and a Ruby D, but also for Martin Luther King. He helped fund the March on Washington. So he didn't have to lead it. He didn't have to plan it. We had Barry Rustin to do that. He didn't have to be on the ground, you know, rallying people. We had Fannie Lou Hamer doing that, right? But what we had was somebody who was willing to, to create that. Sidney Poitier helped fund these moments, right? We got Jay-Z right now help, from helping fund Black Lives Matter, according to news reports, right? According to what, what I've heard. So we have athletes who can stand up and speak out, holding your fist up as you win the Olympic gold medal is extraordinary. That matters. You know, saying I'm not going to fight no Viet Cong, Muhammad Ali, that matters. It, it absolutely matters. And, and, and similarly now, when, when the NBA players say, hey, we're not going to take the court or we're going to have a certain jersey on or a certain T-shirt on, we're going to say Black Lives Matter, we're going to do something to resist. Those symbolic acts of resistance matter. And at this moment, they matter more than ever because we have a, we have a different system of leadership. We have a, 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 a horizontal leadership style rather than a vertical one. So it's a leaderful movement. So we don't have one King or one Malcolm or one, mm -hmm. one Marcus Garvey or whomever. We have a bunch of leaders. And so it's harder to find that person to look to. So if we can look to the internet, if we can look to the ground, if we can look to the church, if we can look to the streets, but we can also look to some NBA players who are willing to resist. I'm down with that. I love that. I'm excited by that. I'm excited about our brother Colin Kaepernick, yeah. what he did. But those symbolic gestures can't be enough. So we can't be like, hey, why are more NBA players doing this? Because that's not going to fix the problem. It never did. We need NBA players to stand up, to speak out, to resist, to use their money in places. And look, everybody ain't going to have the same job. Everybody ain't going to hold a microphone. Some of these folk, you don't want to hold a microphone. Yeah, Some of these right. folks don't want to be on TV, right? <laughs> like, Why don't more, more rappers speak out? Now, trust me, bro, you don't want these rappers. <laughs> but, but give us some money so we can have yeah. a movement. Give us an after-school program. Give us a breakfast program. So for me, what I said, and, I, and it's funny, I was talking to some of the, the Warriors players when they came to Philly uh, a couple weeks ago for the, for the, on the 27th. And I said to them, I said, look, now is the time to speak out. We are fighting, we are relitigating the battles of the 50s. Stuff we thought was done, we're, re we're fighting all over again, in addition to new battles. We need y'all more than ever. I'm not asking y'all to compromise your whole career. I'm not asking, you got 12 years to make a lot of money and to, and to live out your dream. I'm not asking you to give all that away, although some people have. Yes, what right. I am asking you to do is to speak out and be courageous when you can. You know, Kaepernick may have done that, man. You know, he's not getting a lot. He's not getting any love on the free agent market. It doesn't look like so. Uh, unfortunately, he may have done that. He may have done that. And, and it breaks my heart because he, he still can play. Yeah. He still has a spot in the league. I, I, again, I'm in Philly. We've been through way worse quarterbacks in the last <laughs> 10 years than, than, than Colin Kaepernick. I mean, five years ago, he's in or four years ago, five years ago, he's in the, he's oh, in yeah. the Super Bowl. Yeah. yeah. So he's I don't know. I mean, there's a there's a there's a spot in the league for him. But unfortunately, as we saw with uh, with uh, Craig Hodges, as we saw with Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf has seen, you know, a, a lot of time it's the informal, it's the informal blackballing. It's like, oh, we're not going to formally blackball you. We just, no one's going to pick you up. That's right. No That's one's right. going to sign you because we'd rather have, we, we can sign Matt Barkley to hold a clipboard, 
You know what I mean? It's Eagles, or we can we can we can bring uh, Kevin Cobb back, or or, or Foles, Nick Foles back rather. And even though he doesn't have nearly the talent of a Colin Kaepernick, doesn't matter. He ain't gonna raise no problem. And yeah. some owners like Jerry Jones have been very open about it, right? Like hey, nobody on my team can do that. That's right. You know the league. These leagues are so wedded, and I know you got to run, but these leagues, leagues are so wedded to a very narrow idea of what patriotism looks like. You know, from the flags to the the, the, the soldiers at the uh, you know at halftime, especially the NFL. I mean, they're ve- they're uber. Oh yeah. Patriot. Almost yeah. jingoistic, but and I'm not I'm not dissing them for that per se, but they have to understand that patriotism looks different on a black body. You know, when somebody dies in the nation, a soldier or or God forbid, um, a politician, we hold the flag at half mast. We still have the flag, but it's at half mast to acknowledge that something has happened. It doesn't mean we don't respect the flag. We lower the flag because we want to acknowledge that tragedy has happened in our democracy. Mm-hmm. Similarly, when Colin Kaepernick shows up for the national anthem, but has takes a knee, his body is at half mass. He is saying that I, as a person, recognize a crisis in America, and while I'm not going to disrespect this process, what I am going to do is, through my body is show that we have some mourning to do and we have some work to do. I think we should be honoring that, but we have such a narrow patriotism that's all about America, God bless America, and no place else. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That, that we lose sight of the fact that the greatest patriotism is to resist, it's to fight. But when black folk resist and say anything is wrong with America, yep. right? We can complain about right. it. Right. Yep. They like, get out of here, go yep. back to where you came from. Like, we didn't build this thing. That's right. That's right. And, and, and same thing for the athletes. If you don't like it, leave the NFL. Well, what happens if all the NFL players leave? What, you know what I mean? What you gonna do with the NFL without black players or NBA without black players? And that's not a, a racial argument. I'm not making a Jimmy the Greek argument. I'm just saying, I'm making a demographic argument. I'm saying they're all black. Yeah. So maybe we should care about some of these issues. The NBA does that a lot better than other leagues. They get who their audience is and they get who their personnel is. And they realize that their issues are our issues, not just because black players in the NBA, but because black people matter for Americans because they are Americans. man. And, and that's what I want these athletes to do. I want them to be courageous, to resist and to use their collective power to change the world. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And I, I thought Kaepernick displayed a lot of courage because he wasn't that superstar anymore. And right. he was expendable. He, if he had said that as a superstar, then they got to keep you. But he right. said it when knowing, look, I'm on the bench. Maybe they get rid of me. Um, and also, like you said, he's displaying patriotism because he's trying to say, let's, ha- let's have America live up to its values for all people, white, <laughs> black, Asian, Hispanic, Native American, whatever. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm with you on that. Well, look, man, great discussion, outstanding I don't know if I convinced you not to use the N-word, but I think your daughter might eventually. I think so, she's going uh, <laughs> to get it. I just need you to remember, though, five years from now, the Sixers NBA champion. I'm, I'm, yo, I'm, I'm going to put you on blast. You, I'm going to do more than remember it. <laughs> <laughs> but look, if they stay healthy, though, I do agree with you. If they stay healthy, then sky's the limit. Because I, I not only love Embiid, I love Ben Simmons, too. So. Yes, we, we got to trust me, we good. Y'all deserve it, too, for some for all these years of struggle. Jesus, y'all deserve man. it. We ain't won a championship since 1983. <laughs> Basketball championship. Now, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm desperate. You, you, you all stocked up with champ. You don't need no championships for a while. <laughs> all right, brother, man. Thanks all a right, lot. Man. Love you, man. Appreciate Love you, man. it. Peace. Yep. Well, there you have it. Obviously, Mark Lamont Hill and I come at it from two different perspectives. He feels like it's okay for African-Americans to use the N-word amongst themselves. Uh, I would prefer that we drop it all together, um, that we don't use that word to describe ourselves privately or publicly. I feel like, you know, 
we should have great respect for our ancestors and elders who really endured some torturous mistreatment at the hands of those who use that word. And they despise that word and they associate it with some terrible atrocities. Uh, so just out of respect for them and honor for them and their wishes, I would love to see us drop it. And obviously there are a few more reasons for that as well. But whatever the case, hopefully you enjoyed the discussion. Hopefully you were informed by it, you learned something, and maybe even were a little bit entertained by it. Uh, but it's up to you to make your own decision on how you feel about this topic. But hopefully this gave you a lot of food for thought. Before you go, I would like to leave you with this one clip. It's from Richard Pryor, the legendary comedian who himself did a 180 on the use of the N-word as a black man after he visited Kenya, which of course is a country in Africa, in 1979. I want you to check this out before you go and then join us next week here on In The Zone. One thing I got out of it was magic I'd like to share with you, you know, it's like I was leaving and I was sitting in the hotel and a voice said to me, he said, look around, what do you see? And I said, I see all colors of people doing everything, you know? And the voice said, do you see any And I said, no. And I said, you know why? Because there aren't any. And it hit me like a shot, man. I started crying. I was sitting there. I said, yeah, I've been here three weeks. I haven't even said it. I haven't even thought it. And it made me say, oh, my God, I've been wrong. I've been wrong. I got to regroup. I said, I ain't gonna never call another black man. <laughs> you know, because we never was no. That's a word that's used to describe our own wretchedness. And we perpetuate it now because it's dead. So you can take it for what it's worth. I know, like, I ain't trying to preach nothing to nobody. I'm just talking about my feelings about it. I'm just telling you, it's uncomfortable to me. I don't like it when black people say it to me. I really don't no more. It's nothing. It don't mean nothing. So I love y'all, and you take that with you. <laughs>